winter. Hello and welcome to the 12th of these podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Olva and Gometra. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull and I'll be your host today. It's been a beautiful morning here. The sky started off a bruised maroon and then erupted into colour as the sun rose. I'll pop a couple of photos on the website so you can see it. It's just lovely. In this episode, I talk with John Mon of Crogan. Crogan is a small settlement on the Loch Bui estate on the shores of Loch Spelvey. Born in Edinburgh, John's mother's family originally comes from Mull, and he can trace his ancestry here very far back indeed. John came to Crogan in the area as a child for holidays, and, like so many people before and since, it got a hold of him and he always longed to live here. I went to see John and his wife Cathy at their beautiful home in Crogan, looking across the water to Gulachulish, where I also met their lovely dog Sula. It's a stunning location and a truly lovely home. I'll be back at the end of the podcast for some more waffle, and a little bit more information on the episodes to come. If you're curious about any of the subjects we talk about, please feel free to visit our website at whatwedointhewinter.com to find links that will allow you to investigate further. Enough. Without further ado, I give you John Mohan. So, if it's okay to ask, uh, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, John Mon from Crogan. And where is Crogan? Ah, it's a bit of an outlying area. Uh, it's actually in the southeast, quite close to Oban, as the crow flies. Uh, worked out one day on a map. It's the furthest settlement from a post office on the island. There's, you know, discounting outlying farms and things. Um, yeah, it's uh, 15 miles from Craignure, 8 miles from the main road through the Glen. And it's part of the Loch Bui estate, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, part of Loch Bui. Yeah, it has uh, been from, well, always, as far as I know. It's one of these kind of promontory bits that stick out the edge of the island as well, so you've got over at uh, Grass Point kind of way as well, and over that side, uh, which is just so beautiful and isolated. It's, yeah, it's uh, almost an island, Loch Bui and... Well, Lagan and Crogan are all you know, not far off being an island if the glacier had pushed through a bit further. Or the Doggerbank tsunami had worked as <laughs> yeah, yeah, worked as magic. Um, I so um, to start off with, where were you born? I was born in Edinburgh. Um, it came about. My mum was born and brought up in Loch Bay, and my dad came here in the sixties to build Craig near Pier. Met my mum, then they moved off to the next job after that was finished. Got married, uh, so I was born in Edinburgh. But um, then we moved to, where was it first, uh, Aberdeen, then Port Patrick. This is all with his work. Yeah. And I started school in Bembecula at Balavanich. Really? Yeah, he was out doing stuff there, the, the rocket range. Uh, then we moved to Sunderland for a year. And then I'm back in Edinburgh by the time I was seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And I was there till I was 19, 20, something like that. And were you always conscious of Mull during that time? Yeah, I spent every holiday. We always came to my granny's at Lochbury. We never went to my dad's parents' place for some reason. <laughs> um, he was from Newcastle. Great time. Uh, yeah. So, well, we went and visited, but we never stayed there for holidays. So we came here every summer, Easter, Christmas, October break, the lot. And I would spend the whole holiday here staying at my granny's. You know, go home the day before I went back to school. That sick feeling driving down the road, getting a lift down the road. Yeah, that, you know, in the pit of your stomach, just back to city life. It was all right after a few days. 
Yeah, I knew Mal was where that's where I felt it was from, really. That went to lockdown for a couple of months in the seventies. Right. Okay. Yeah, you know, in between jobs, my mum came up and stayed here and went there. But, um, was that Ailey that was the teacher? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I went to a Gaelic class when I first moved here in '97, and she didn't realise who I was. And I said, "Oh, I've been in your class before." And she went, "Oh, a Gaelic class?" I said, "No, no, a primary class." She said, "Oh, you're making me feel old." She said, <laughs> oh, uh, "She's lovely." Yeah, she's a very special person indeed. So what did Mull mean to you when you were away growing up in Edinburgh, Sunderland, all these different places? What did the sense of Mull mean to you? Well, I always felt it was where I was from, even though I wasn't born there. I knew that's where all my roots were. You know, my granny's side of the family, McPhail's, they came out of Glenforsa. Um, of course. I was just talking to Christine McPhail yesterday, and she's who's a carer for my mother-in-law, oh. and she's saying that there's McPhail's uh, of her family in Glenforsa for 800 years. That's right, yeah. They came out from Brawl and then spread down the East Coast, and my great-great-grandfather was at Ardmore at one point, and then he came to... Um, came to uh, Gorshin Doll, which is up on the top of the hill. So it's not a black house, kind of improved house. Uh, then they got the lease on Portfield when that was built in the 1860s, I think it was. Uh, and then they had the lease right up till the 1970s. So, yeah, I've always felt Mull was... And I actually I had a business in Edinburgh and I, you know, I moved it here in 97 and it, too soon. I was just desperate to live here, you know. And uh, that didn't work out. I had to give that up. Aye, so Portfield, um, we, did you go to Portfield as a kid as no, well? No, my granny was at Lahouche Cottage, although they moved about everywhere. They were at um, my grandfather's father, he was a head stalker here. He came here in the 1870s, 1880s from McLean of Lochbury to set up Lag and Deer Forest. And uh, so they lived at Craig Ben Lodge, so that's where my mum was up to the age of six. Then they moved to uh, Spelvy Farm. But they moved them about, you know, depending on sizes of families, they just moved them to whatever house was available. But when I was young, my, well, she was at Toomerun for a while, but I don't remember that. So it's always Lahouche Cottage, halfway down the side of the loch. So that's where we always were. When you were growing up and coming here, what were there people, the characters that stuck out that you would relish seeing again? Oh, yeah. There was all, well, all, all, that whole generation of the older folk was still there, but I often wish I was five years older because they all... Most of them died off when I was under 10, so yeah. I knew them, but I'd have asked a lot more questions. And, you know, like old Murdoch and Teeny McLean, you know, Loch Bui spelling. He was a roadman. I used to go up you know, go up with him and help him clean out the roads when I was really young, uh, when I was on holiday. And uh, oh, there was Roderick, his brother, and uh, yeah, who else was down in Loch Bui? The Gibsons and uh, old Alistair Gibson. Um, aye, and uh, Alistair Reed and Donnie Black and his mum and dad and uh, Alec Reed. Aye, there were there was some quite good characters. And is Donnie Black still alive? Or yeah, aye, he's in Java now. He's my mum's first cousin. And um, were you conscious of uh, the rest of the island at that time, or was it specifically down here? You just came here and sprackled about down here. Yeah, the Ross hardly ever went down there. Just maybe. Once a year, we'd go down for a drive from my parents were here for two weeks and then they'd go off back to Edinburgh or whatever. Um, you'd go to Tob maybe with an old auntie, you know, it was a big day trip and an old A35. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you'd, you'd go to Tob a couple of times but um, in the holiday, but that was about it. It was really just 
here to Craig Newer was, and it still is a bit like that. You know, that's that's the area. You know, you don't you don't go down the Ross unless you've got good reason to. You just, I only go up to Tob a lot because I work there. You know, I wouldn't be there that much if it wasn't for that. I love that that we define our worlds by our little corners. Because yeah. that's one of the diff- <laughs> one of the difficulties I've had is because uh, I'm doing this kind of off my own back is getting down to the Ross to talk to people. So mm. yeah, you get in, locked into your own wee worlds and you kind of get focused on them and. Mm. Uh, which is, you know, I guess how it must have been in the past as well. Well, I don't know. They, everybody, my granny, you know, she kept in touch with everybody. Yes. You know, and, and I think people that left the island, I don't know if it's an island thing or not, but she seemed to keep in touch with so many people that moved away to different places. Yeah. Uh, you know, I knew people in Edinburgh who said, oh, I've got no living relatives. Of course you have, you know, you, if you just don't know it because the city yeah. way, it just, it just people disperse. Yeah, that's yeah. Can you say a little bit about about your trade? What do you do for a for your trade? Oh well, um, it, well, I could start at the beginning, I suppose. Aye, it was a bit, be uh, yeah, that's okay. That's <laughs> well, at school I always wanted to be a vet, and then I didn't study well enough, and ended up getting a Saturday job in a motorbike shop, and I didn't look at a book again. So, mm-hmm. I left school after. Well, I stayed on to six year. Although I don't think I passed anything in six year. Um, did worked in the bike shop for three years. Then I thought, no, I need to do something. So I set up my own business doing grip blasting and powder coating. Mm-hmm. So I did that in Edinburgh for 13 years and then decided I you know, wanted to move here. So I closed the workshop and moved it to Oban, kept a wee shop in Edinburgh. Uh, but it wasn't working out, so gave that, you know, had to pack that in. Um, didn't have much choice. And then I got a job in the fish farm at Spelvey here, working with Jeff. Did that for five years. Um, on the landing craft and doing all sorts feeding, net changing everything. Um, but I kind of once I got my boat ticket, you know, I did did trips to St Kilda with um, Mark that had Northern Light Charters. Goodness and me. Rob was working with them at the time, so we'd go off to St Kilda uh, about eight trips a year in the oh. summer. Um, so I did that in my long weekends. I'd take my holidays at the weekends. So once I got my boat ticket, I was a bit bored going back and forward and spelvy all the time um so what did i do then yeah i got offered a job on one of the northern light boats and it was down in saint malo in france oh. uh, so i was there for six months in dry dock and the refit a nice flat above a bar and a patisserie and oh lovely and that was good Very civilized. and then we came up and we did um we did trips to well we, st- we did some local trips went to Sulaskar and to look for an albatross that was living with the gannets. Really? Yeah. <laughs> we saw it. it. Yeah, we found it. It was there every year for a few years. A black-browed albatross. Goodness so it's n- not as big as a wandering albatross. Um, then we did trips to... went to the Faroes and Iceland. Went back and forward on the north coast of Iceland for a couple of months. Then back and did a, did a trip around Orkney, around all the wee islands, and then went off to Norway. Ah. And worked our way up from... Bergen all the way up to the Lofoten Islands. Gosh. So that was great. Really enjoyed that. But I was away from home for eight months, so it wasn't great in that respect, but it was. I'm glad I did it. The Faroes is somewhere I've always wanted to go. Ah, it's beautiful, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a bit like Shetland and Orkney. It's a bit rugged, but... Oh, I love that. The, 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 you know, um, Torshavn, I think they call it, mm. is beautiful. You know, it's a tiny capital city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, somewhere I've always wanted to go St Kilda as well I mean, what's mm. St Kilda like? What's oh, it's amazing Yeah, it's, I'd say it's a must see once in your life at least what is it that makes St Kilda so special? 
I think that the history of it and the fact it's all gone, I think. Um, Aye. You know, you, everybody knows the history of it, and it's just, you know, you see all these houses there. Uh, but, you know, all the birds, you know, when you go in there, the, you know, there's puffins on dune and, uh, and you know, they all take off. And then you go, you hover about under Stack Lee, and the sky almost goes dark with the gannets flying around you. Um Yes, it's the, the scale I want to see. I want to experience mm. that that sense of right from the sea to the <laughs> yeah. to the clouds and beyond almost. It's yeah, well, there's cliffs there that, you know, I can't remember what height they are, but somebody said once they were the tallest sea cliffs in Europe. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. But, I've heard that as well, yeah. Uh, and you can almost touch the, the bow of the boat against the rock. You know, the water's deep enough, so you can imagine what that feels like right above you. And there's, you know, there's sheep and the soy sheep on some of the uh, ledges and stuff that have been apparently you know one chap told us they'd fallen down there as lambs and survived nibbling on the grass and licking the water off the rocks and um but on Hirshta itself's beautiful it's the I don't know I can't explain it my dad used to go out there as well when we were in Bimbekel I'd go out on the landing craft you know the LT, LCTs yeah um and would you would do work out there? Well, they would, yeah. it was all tied up with a radar station in the rocket range. Of course, you know? yeah. Right. So. Where else has stuck out from your travels as somewhere that you'd go back to and that's left a mark on you? Pretty much everywhere. I'd love the Norway, Faroes, Iceland. Love to go back to them all. And St Malo. I'd love mm-hmm. to go to St Malo and have a wee holiday there. Mm-hmm. That'd be nice. It's really nice well, it's town, really, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. it's, and they're tied there, you know, the... 14 metre rise and fall of the tide you know you pull up to a ladder and you look up and you think I'm not going up <laughs> incredible place and nowadays you're employed by a, a, a renowned local employer yes I, I can't remember the name oh yeah Calmac yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I did that I've been 11 years there now I got you know I applied, I'd applied for a few jobs and I think you had to be related to somebody to get a job in these days but eventually that sort of changed and uh, the job came up and yeah, I've been doing it for 11 years. And you're on the Kilhorn run, Tobermory That's Kilhorn. right, yeah, Tobermory uh, to Kilhorn. Have you always been on that run? Yeah, uh, I've, I've done the odd week and the odd other place. Just Rassi and so on. Yeah, but no, I haven't even been up there, but right. uh, just Iona, um, nice. Lismore and stuff. Uh, Loch Allen, we did a, filled in for a day you know, at the rally time and things. Oh, yeah. I love uh, when you go to Lismore, if you've taken a big vehicle along, you have to reverse up some planks with your big vehicle. Oh, right. I love that. It's a real challenge. Yeah. yeah I think they've got, they've got a bigger boat now, actually. Right. And they've got an island class. So nice. That suits them. And I'll miss the Rassi. It's gone. We had that. That was our winter boat, the wee landing craft. Mm. So the Rassi's away. That's, a, that's one of the more rough stretches of water for the distance of it. Though, mm, that yeah, very. On. It's really... Um, and it is pretty exposed to the west, but luckily both the slips sort of face to the east southeast, so it's you know quite shell. You know it's unusual for the wind to be in that, well, not as usual. So you know you can normally sail in pretty rough weather. And what is the how how busy in the depth of winter is the Cajon run? Oh, it can be dead. Um, yeah, it can be very quiet. You know, some days maybe one or two people, but it's really picked up in the summer now. A lot of camper vans. They had to give us a bigger boat. We couldn't fit the campers and cars on on the Loch Linney. So they've given us the Loch Tarbert now. What do you think that's caused that change? Is it just that people have more camper vans or is it the more attraction? Mm, What's the... I don't know. More campers. Is, uh, they seem to come down from Sky. They tie it in with the um, Malig run. 
and they just I don't know a lot of camper vans on Mull yes yeah. an awful lot so, um, which is another debate altogether <laughs> well it is it's, yeah because um, there's some good ones yeah. and there's some absolute tossers as well but ah, uh, well we've we, we've been, it's some of the wee ones that don't have toilets here we've had a lot of problems this year with the dogs finding human excrement behind trees and rocks and things oh, bright blue liquid no well not from the toilet actually just they've gone behind a tree and oh, right. I done just, the toilet and left it that's not what you want at all mm. no um, yeah. not suggesting they're all like that at all no exactly <laughs> yes <laughs> some of them go inside <laughs> yeah. you've um, got a, a lot of interest in history as well how mm. how did your interest in history come about well i don't know um I just always have been. Oh, I didn't do history at school. Geography was the main thing. It was um, maybe it was just from here. Just um, you know, hearing stories from grandparents and some of the older folk and all the you know, particularly interested in the old like the clearance period and the pre you know the pre-clearance townships and things like that. Yeah, it's really interesting up there. Um, There's a cracking village up the back, just up the back here. yeah, that's there's fifteen, sixteen buildings up there, and I'd you know I'd love to know more about it. Do you know the name of the village at all? Yeah, uh, there's actually two. There's um, you need to forgive my pronunciations. Bal Balgamri is uh-huh. one, uh-huh. Winter Farm, I believe. Aye. Um, and the other one is Barna Shog, is it the high the high place of the hawk? Okay, right. That's that's what the blue book, um, yeah, McLean's the McLean blue book, book yeah. says it's called. But there's a wall yeah. just runs through them. But the houses are you could just ten yards apart, sort of thing. Gosh, uh, and are there any stories from that from your childhood that, that you can remember at all that have come back to mind? And uh, not so much, not about up there really. No, no that's, but just in um, general of the area. Then. Yeah, I will. Um, I'm Auntie Bella Donnie's um, mum. She was. She can remember the old house up at Gorshendal, because um, Portfield, the, you know, there was nine of them in the family, and uh, was it eight, eight or nine, and um, they they always had visitors. You know, like these days, people seem to always have relatives staying. Yes, and it was so tight in the house there that the men would go up and stay at Gorshendal, um, and you know they'd have to sort of camp up there. There's an old well up there. It's a, actually a sheep dip now. It's been concreted in, and it's obviously a sheep dip from uh. Victorian times. But um, Lackey Knock told me it was actually the Well of the Silver Crown that it was known as. Wow. Uh, I can't remember. Is it Tobler Vonicky or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and but he said that would be they'd put they'd put money in for for a good harvest or good. Aye, an offering. Yeah. Aye. So and is there much of that that sort of um, pre-Christian past here at all? Yeah, well, there's uh, up below the old village. There's what's supposed to be an old hill fort. It's not in the Argyle Monuments book, but somebody told me it was a hill fort when I was a kid, and it certainly f- seems like it. And I took some old um, took some folk from Oban. They were like an amateur historical group. Uh, that you know they weren't official or anything, and took them up there, and they went round it all with divining rods, and you know they reckon they could tell there was three or four buildings inside the outer enclosure. Um, so there's that up there. Um, what else is there about here? Um, 
Not so much pre-Christian stuff that I can think of. Mm. Uh, over on the other side there, Gulhulish. Yes. That's quite a place you were talking about. That. Yeah, Gulhulish is magic. It's um, I, I, it was a friend, my mate Adrian, and said, oh, let's go for a walk to Gulhulish. He'd been um, when it had been quite boggy, and he said it was you know very very difficult to, to go via uh, the track because it was so so boggy. But when it dried up, he said, let's go, and mm. we took it's only about an hour and fifteen minutes from yeah. from the road end, and and those ruins there are fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing house. It was a taxman's house originally, but uh, yeah, my great grandmother lived there. She, she was actually brought up uh, in Glen Lepito, which is if you go to the end of the Loch Tiberchendrum and, and right up over the top of the hill, that you go down an amazing glen. It's like like a quarry shaped glen, if you like. You know, it's, there's a back to it, and uh, right down at the bottom of that, her father was a a shepherd. So it must you know it must have been wow. very early sheep farm. Um, and uh, she was brought up there, but then they moved up up across the loch there. And um, but then she met Mac- she was a MacPhail, so mm-hmm. supposedly no relation to the other MacPhails on this side that she married into. But I don't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they they got married. There was an old oak tree up there. It's it's mm. it blew over a few years ago and it's dead. Unfortunately, it was a hollow oak tree. Yeah. Um, and it, that was known as the marriage tree, and uh, they got married there, and supposedly had the wedding dance in the big cave down on the shore. Um, Goodness me! I can't remember who even told me that. And then she spent the rest of her life uh, at Portfield, and now was it? Yeah, it was. Was it her or, or her husband's mother? I can't remember. It's either my great grandmother or my great great grandmother uh, drowned there. She'd gone down to the shore to get water for the men's feet they'd been in the fank working all day and they she never came back and they went down found a bucket or whatever and she was gone she was declared dead but oh maybe she ran off with somebody <laughs> who knows I've never been to the cave down the shore there what's it like? Oh, it's not that big you wouldn't have a wedding dance there no, <laughs> <laughs> um, no it's not it's just a fairly I mean it's high at the entrance but it doesn't go back that far not like Lord Lovett's cave I'd love to go in there down at Loch Bay mm. yeah, I don't know very much about that what, tell me a bit about well it was I think it was Odin's cave originally the Norse name for it and then Lord Lovett hid there when he was running from the Redcoats ah. after the 45 well don't take more than that it might have been the 19 or the 15 or whatever but yeah. I think it was the 45 and um and it goes way down under the sea. You know, it's big, long, 100-yard really? cave. And there was a chamber at the end with a rock in it that had a seat sort of seat shape in it. I don't know if somebody had carved it out or not. Goodness me. But I remember John Corbett telling me that he and my grandfather were the last two people alive that had been in it. But they were both long gone now. Because the, the entrance collapsed in the 30s. The scree just came over the front of it. I've actually got a picture somewhere that Ian Thornburgh gave me that, from inside it. Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah, the struts, I think, they used to come and shoot at Ben Bowie and they'd taken pictures inside it. Gosh. So, and been, no one's been in since? Nobody's dug it out since. No. Jim always said, years ago, Jim Corbett always said he'd get a JCB out there one day and dig it out, but there's no time for that sort of thing, you know, too much to do. And yeah. I'd love to talk to Jim as well. He's yeah, he's got some man, good so. stories there. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) 
So one um, a few months back, you passed on a, a fascinating document to Ian Morrison about the post forty five uh, here. Uh, for those, uh, I guess, for the listeners that maybe don't know what the forty five. What can you say? What <laughs> what was the forty five? All right. Well, the forty five was the the last Jacobite rising um, uh, when the and which ended in forty six in April. April was it February? April? can't remember, mm-hmm. uh, at Culloden with the last battle for it in British soil as the Jacobites were well and truly beaten and then yeah. after that the the British forces basically ransacked the highlands and islands and yeah. sitting and used new forms of administration as well and that's where factors come from in many oh, ways yeah. I believe, I was a, a farmer was telling me that the factors system kind of was appointed after that as a means mm. of keeping an eye on things as well right. so there's maybe always been a reason to be wary of the factor yeah, right. as such. I'm sure there are many good factors out there, but I've certainly met one or two that aren't very nice. <laughs> there's usually trouble when there's factors. Isn't Indeed, it? yeah. Uh, Patrick Siller being the kind of the classic, but oh, yeah, uh, yeah. who was over in Morven, of course. Yeah, he ended up there, and um, funnily enough, uh, there was a chap who used to come and stay in a B and B at Berwick and he turned out his name's Sellers. Uh, but it turns out he was related to him and the family had changed the name slightly. I don't know why they would do that. <laughs> no idea, was it? A friend uh, as a singer was singing down in uh, Bath one time and she told the story, she's from Lewis, and she told the story of this, um, uh, it was a song relating to the clearances and she talked about Siller. And uh, at the end of the concert, a lady came up to say, that was it. That was an ancestor of mine, and uh, she said, oh gosh, I really want to know more about that, and she turned around to talk to someone else, uh, very briefly, to say, oh, can I get this, or whatever, and by the time she turned around, the person had gone. No, no. So the story, there will be interesting stories there as well, because the, the, looking at it now, people have tried to spin his story other ways as well, mm. there are other interpretations of... Well, if some folks say that he was actually quite good to people in Morven, but I don't know. Ian would be, Ian Thornburg would be the man to speak to about that. Mm. He'd know... That was an interesting story that, um, oh, I can't remember his name now, he's a journalist uh, and his father founded the Iona community, I think. Max. Aye, Max. He, he was here one day, and uh, but I read an article that, about a woman that he'd, his father had taken him and said shake her hand, an old woman in Iona, and she'd shaken the hand of a person who had seen, the, as a child, seen the prince's ship going heading off back to France. After the forty, after Culloden, so Good that's quite a. That's maybe not an exact interpretation of it, but there's a very interesting thing. There's so the continuity of time is a, is an extraordinary thing that. Um, I was I've been listening to an Irish podcast uh, from their version from the Irish version of Tober and Dulchus, um, sort of the oral history thing. Uh, oh, uh, Tober and Dulchus is absolutely amazing. Well, this is the Irish uh, the, the the sort of sister uh, Irish site and. They've got a great podcast, and they in their first episode they talk about this golden chain mm-hmm. of oral history that's gone on throughout, because the Romans didn't come up and squash mm-hmm. uh, any kind of indigenous culture or kind of uh, flatten any kind of identity. There's so there's always been this golden chain of identity that's gone on. The mm-hmm. the, the the tales have passed through, all the way through. So that sense of, yeah, yeah. B- being in time, I mean, gosh, yeah, it's only a couple of generations ago, really. It's, no, it's not a long time ago, is it? No. You know, and the older you get, you you soon realise how, you know, time isn't what it seems like when you're young. Not in any shape or form. Yeah. To me, you know, as a, as a kid, well, I was born in 67, but as a kid in the 70s at school, the war seemed like yeah. a long, long time before, yeah. you know, but there was 
people going about in their 40s at that time that had been in it. You know, Your teachers were living through war trauma. Yeah. You know, they, mm-hmm. So many of them must have had PTSD and variants mm-hmm. then on. And yeah, no, it's amazing to think. I mean, it, my grandfather never really talked about it, as so many people didn't, but well, both my grandparents' grandfathers were in the war in France, mm-hmm. in the trenches, and both in kilted regiments. I remember my mum telling me that Goodness. he'd said that the... Um, the worst thing about the kilt was when it got wet and all the mud stuck to it and then when it dried it was like razor blades cutting the backs of your legs it must have been terrible so the doc- document um, from the 45 that you found where did the, where did you find this? no I didn't find it it was um, um, it was given to me by somebody I um, can't remember who now um, I don't know where they found it they had been down at Loch Gilpid going through um no, it was a relation when she'd been down at Loch Gilpid going through stuff. Maybe that's where she found it. Um, but it may not have been. But, yeah, it was passed on to me. So, And what does it detail in this document? What's... Uh, it's, well, there was two, I think. One of them was um, after one of the risings. I can't remember if it was the four. No, it wasn't the 45. It was the 15, I think, the, mm. the second rising. I think it was that one. There, and all the men on the island had to hand in their weapons so a, a British ship came in and uh, to Duart Castle and uh, officers set up there and all the men from the island had to come in and hand in all their weapons I'm sure it would have been all the old rubbish that was handed <laughs> well exactly yeah yeah his rusty claymore's going nowhere yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's it so no I don't know that much about that to be honest but yeah, yeah. it was interesting though yeah, I sent it on to Ian, I think, because yeah. I noticed uh, his surname was actually in it. At Penmore, yeah. yeah. In terms of your own kind of historical research around the area and your own interest, what have you found of, of interest of this area? Most of the research I've done is family tree stuff, you know, just on Scotland's people. Mm-hmm. Um, and up, I went up to the museum and went through Joe Curry's boxes. I started to go through Joe Curry's boxes. Found some pictures, found a picture of a, a relation uh, who was a farm... Uh, a cattleman in oh, I can't remember the place over near Aberdeen somewhere he'd come from Portfield must have been my great grandfather's brother uh, I'd never seen that picture before what do you think it is about this area that that, that grabs people and what's what is it about I mean it's we call this area I guess Loch Bui really isn't it it's sort of Loch yeah, Bui estate and yeah it's part of Loch Bui estate what is it because it's it is very, very remote. It's, mm. I mean, remote's a subjective term, uh, totally. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's at a distance from other settlements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is out in a limb, but uh, although we're only half an hour from the ferry, so no, no further than you are. You know, you're closer than me. Yeah, yeah. So it's from that way. It's good. Um, but it's yeah, it's pretty remote. But uh, I don't know. I mean, a wildlife thing nowadays. Most of the people that come here are looking for otters. The word seems to have got out that Croggan's where otters are, and you know they're all around the loch. Well, they're everywhere, all around the island. But people seem to like to park next to houses to watch the otters. <laughs> so um, and they sometimes forget to treat the people that live here with the, with respect. You know, I think they think we're we're on show with the otters. Um, so. Yeah, people seem surprised when they find out you actually live here and you're not on holiday. Yeah. yeah. And the house here. How did you come to live in this house here? Well, it, my auntie had this as when they retired from farming at Portfield, my auntie came down and rented this from the estate. And when I was desperate to move, she died. And I was speaking to Jim Corbett and said, oh, I'm desperate to move up. Can you 
is there anywhere going? And he said, well, I don't have anything but you know, phone my brother Joe. He's got the shilling in Crogan. So phoned him and he's like, yeah, you can have it. Um, and, he, and so just did it straight away, basically. Just So that was 21 years ago. Gosh. And have you made modifications to the house at all? Ah, well, it's a, it's a sort of cheap, cheapish rent and Brilliant. just you sort of do away yourself, you know few bits of timber up, hold the things up and yeah. you know, knock the fireplace out and put in a stove and yeah, like putting central heating and stuff like that. So because it was freezing, you know, it was because there's no insulation in the house. It's the original floor as well. Yeah, yeah, and there's no damp proof membrane under them, so you know, you get slugs crawl out and <laughs> when it's wet outside from underneath. Um and it's original three mil thick glass windows, you know, so it's when it's blowing a gale it's a bit it's a bit breezy, a bit lively. <laughs> yeah, but the heating's made a big difference. Right. So. And have you found anything in kind of in refurbishing those sort of elements of the people that lived here in the past? No, not really. No, no, no. It's not like where, where Kathy used to live. There was a in a cupboard. There was a, a it was an old lodge house that she worked in, and there was all the names of the servants written on the back of the door from over a hundred years ago. It'd be nice to find something like that, but no, I haven't. I mean, out in the garden, you find old tools, you know, old, you know, picks and you know, dug up all sorts of things, bits of scythes. And we things, find it? occasionally in our, because uh, we've got woodlands around us, bits of like caches of stuff. All right. So we found like a whole cache of mayonnaise jars from the past. And all right, like, yeah, like, they kept them, yeah. Well, you find a lot of bottles, yeah. We've got yeah. all sorts of old bottles and bit broken pottery. Uh, any house around here, and I'm sure it's the same all over the Denby Denbyware. All, all right. that, that sort of blue and white Denby stuff mm. is just seems to be yeah, everywhere. Bucketfuls of that, all <laughs> Kathy collects it. And keeps it. Uh, it's there like, you go there, there's all that sort of stuff. Yeah, all I mean, off the beach. Is, did, did did people just throw it away? And I think when something broke, because you know you didn't have any rubbish collection. No, you see, so you just you even had the in day. Yeah, you'd chuck anything in, in the midden, and you'd burn everything else. Yeah, yeah. everything went in the fire. You know, all yeah. the rubbish. So, yeah, I suppose you just had to, and you wouldn't walk far to chuck it, you just a few steps from the house. That, um, oh, you're talking, talk, I've just had a, a memory there of you know, about stories of characters. Yes. There was a woman, I don't know if you noticed, about a couple hundred yards along, there's a house up in the hill from the town, right. and Nellie Malcolm used to live in there, and she was, you know, she died before I was born, but um, she was a real character, and um, she had one cow, and Brian Gibson's grandfather, great grandfather, was in there one day with I can't remember who else he was with, and they, she said, "Come in for a cup of tea," and she used to drag big branches into the house. It was quite a big farmhouse, and chop them up in the front room, and she'd mix up a sort of gruel for cats and flick it about the room and stuff for the cats. Anyway, they were sitting there, and she made the tea and said, "Oh, hang on, I'll go and milk the cow." So she went out and milked the cow, but they knew it had died two days before. So, so she milked the dead cow for their tea. Uh, the story was apparently they poured it into their wellies when she wasn't looking and, yeah. and made their excuses. <laughs> <laughs> but she was a character. She'd she'd worked in the big house, I think, in, in service in her younger days. So I wish I'd met her. Did you get any sense of uh, patronage as it was around here at all? Still, is there any sense of that? Because uh, the floor and gym and uh, you know they seem fairly decent to me. From I know they're very decent folk. Yeah, I mean we were talking about that the other day. We had reason to talk about it with somebody, and um, 
No, I mean, back in my grandparents' day, you know, it was you'd been doffing your cap to the owners and things like that. But they, and certainly my grannies and my grandpa, they were treated really well. You know, my grandpa yeah. had been a stalker and gamekeeper on the island, on the estate, and had the house for as long as they needed it, you know, until they died, you know, yeah. and a you know, small pension. And, um, you know, I remember John Corbett always telling me, you know, how good people they were and, um, but no, these these days have, have gone and passed now, you know. And in the past they must remain. Yeah, well, <laughs> my granny used to actually, I remember once phoning, because I used to go to and help with the clipping and stuff when I was up, you know, I'd work Brilliant. every day on the estate, clipping or whatever was going on. And I remember phoning up Jim to arrange a time. And I'm like, hello, Jim. And my granny was in the back going, it's Mr. Jim, it's Mr. Jim. And you know, my mum was there at that time and she, she was like, no, it's not Mr. Jim, just... Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure Jim would be happy with Jim. <laughs> Aye, yeah. I mean, I remember my mum telling me when they used to go to dances and Craig Newer, Jim would pile in the back of the van with everybody else, you know. Mm. Yeah, but it's just, that's what the times were like before that. and yeah. There was good landowners and bad landowners. And Still are. Yeah. As, as we Absolutely. see uh, time and time again, yeah. Um, so you talked about the clipping there. What other kind of jobs as a kid were you given? Oh well, in the wool bag, you know, when you're packing wool, you were the one that you'd string it up to the rafters in the byre or barn or wherever you were, and you'd have to climb in and stamp it down because in those days you packed it as tight as you could get it. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, I was always picking ticks off you when you got home. <laughs> oh. uh, when I was very young, I used to do the paint, so you'd have the big tin of keel and a stick to put it on with, and they used to laugh at me because I don't know how I used to get it everywhere. You know, I was covered in it when I got home. And uh, then I got a wee bit older, and he started doing the crocking, and mm-hmm. um, did a bit of clipping. It was all hand shears. It was great cracking. The fact then, you know, when it was hand shears, because there was no noise, you could just chat away. Mm-hmm. But and then the machines came and kind of killed the atmosphere a bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I loved that. You know, and gathering as well. You know, wee yeah. fat kid from the city was knackered the first few gathers. <laughs> just about killed me, but. Um, no, that's a very special, special thing as well. I remember um, going gathering with an uncle, and it was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. It was just like the the whole day out on the hill, just wandering around, and mm-hmm. it was lovely. It was really special. Yeah. And um, open and call, so it was um, Pig's Paradise, which is a sort of brr, 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 northwest end, so or, or the west side of of Colonsay, and it's mm-hmm. this very high quarry shape, mm-hmm. and uh, the sheep, yeah, they were kicking about, and they, he had to go over the edge, make sure there was no one, you know, look over the edge, make sure there's none down there. My mum and my gran were so worried about us because we've been out so long that they were almost funny for a sea king to come and <laughs> find right. us. But I was great. I was having a great time with my uncle out in the hill. Yeah. It was just. No, it is a, it's a nice thing. But, you know, if you've got to go, it's, you might think, oh, I'll go, must go for a walk there one day, but you, you might not get round to it. But, you know, you have to go. Cause the, the only thing is you're kind of limited to where you're walking because that's where you're, if that's your route you've got to follow, you know, you might not be able to wander about much. But, you know, yeah, we've seen a lot on the hill over the years. and mm. Once in a blue moon, we'll, we'll go for a wander now or a deer count or something like that. There's a lot on the road in the morning on the way up to Tob too. <laughs> it's quite a hairy drive in the winter. How long is your commute to, to Tob? An hour. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's so, quite a thought. Aye. It's quite a long day on top of a 13-hour day at work. But uh, yeah, it's not too bad. You do that for the seven days, and then you have seven days off. So 
you do your two weeks the hours for your two weeks in one week oh, I didn't realise no, that you do like an 80 hour week and then gosh and then you have seven days off we couldn't do extra sailings or anything because oh, really? we wouldn't be allowed to no. the hours of rest so what do you do for the hours of rest do you just sort of kick up kick back and no well you, you, you well you have an hours break during the day right. but you know at night you've you've got to have your is it 10 hours after you know from finishing right. to starting again so. yeah. but I just come home I commute every day I don't stay up there it's nice to get home to your own bed. Is there anything else um, that, you, that sticks out from your from your time here, from your from your life here, from the dreams of wanting to come and live here that, that you want to see at all? That you think they're worth noting and remembering. Remembering. Is there anything of the character of of Mull that's specific? You think of interest? Mm. Well, it, it's changed so much since even I was a kid. You know the the whole character of the island. Well, c- certainly here because. You know, there's where there being so few people, and you know, most of the people have come in now, and the older generations have died off, and so it's not the same place as it was at all. You know, because no. there's not many houses lived in here now. You know, and there's seven houses in the village. There's only two of them lived in, so it's pretty quiet. When I moved here, it was on a high. It goes up and down here. When I moved here, there was uh, one, two, three, four, five of the houses we lived in. Um, and it's and again when you go back to the late 70s my auntie Emma was here herself and she was the only person in Crogan really yeah so the, it goes up and down mm. or just one last thing what, what are your memories of this house as a child what was it well we'd only come and visit here I, didn't, I never stayed here um, but yeah it was uh, she always had the fire on through in the other room there I'm guessing this was the Sunday room yeah yeah this was the I don't think I was ever in it <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah. maybe the minister would have come in exactly there was always that yeah. room in the house that you just went uh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's it and uh, everybody remembers she had a big Welsh dresser with tins of cakes everywhere she was a lovely lady Emma McPhail although she was from um, was it Motherwell or down there somewhere she was from originally really yeah and she married and moved up here and spent her life here and it was quite a change for her I can certainly understand it it's an um, absolutely amazing place it uh I'm super chuffed to have made it, I must admit. It's, uh, I'll certainly be back again as well. I want to yeah, go for a walk further along out past the end of Yeah, it's a nice walk. You can walk right out, you know, right round the coast. Uh, well, it's hard going if you get near Loch Bree, but that's a, that'd be a two-day job probably. Well, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate that. It's fantastic. No problem. Nice it's talking to you. Thank you. Thanks again, John, and thanks, Cathy, too, and indeed, Sula. It was great to spend time with you all. Thank you. On the webpage, you'll see some photos that John sent over, which detail life at Crogan and the surrounding area. There's some photos of a homemade wooden tractor there that are really fascinating. Now, I feel I owe you, the listener, a bit of an apology for the speed of the waffle at the end of last week's podcast. I was a bit under time pressure to get the episode finished and uploaded before I left for my next location. It's just my own wanting to go on to the next place, basically. As a result, you got a high-pressure waffle that was not particularly comprehensible. I do apologise. Basically, I was wanting to get out the door and explore the island. Harris is amazing. It's just fantastic. I would go back in a flash. I've got a few more interviews to do for the podcast this week, so I'm trying to get a few in the bank while the season's a bit quieter. This afternoon, I'm talking to someone from the Ross of Mull, and then on Friday morning, I'm talking to someone in Tobermory. 
I'm going to be sharing the podcast on YouTube fairly soon, as some people find that an easier way to listen to things. Keep your eyes open for that if you like, and feel free to subscribe to the What We Do in the Winter channel. A quick recommendation for you following a passing mention in this episode. If you go to soundcloud.com forward slash folklore underscore podcast, you'll find a fascinating podcast from the National Folklore Collection at University College Dublin called Blurney Bildish, or Folklore Fragments. Sorry, my Irish isn't very strong. If you're interested in some of the things we've been exploring in the podcast here in Mull, Ulva, Iora and Gometra, you may just find a few more nuggets of interest there. It can be found on both SoundCloud and iTunes. I've put a link to it on the webpage. As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make, I'm looking to fundraise through donations. So if you feel like it, and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee, or even a packet of Sal and Spar's own finest burger bites, wherever you may be, through the website. You'll see a donate tab there where you can donate if you so wished. But don't worry if you can't or you don't want to, I'd much rather you listen than you didn't. If you want to leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you use to listen to this podcast, please feel free. I'd be really grateful. Thank you. And on that note, thank you to Neil and Jane for your donations. Your support is very much appreciated. And thank you to all of those of you who reach out to say hello. It's wonderful to hear from you. Thanks. As ever, the webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com, has all the links and info you'll need from this episode. And we can be found on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Although I've done hee-haw with the Instagram page, you must excuse me. Thank you for listening. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. More than thang, shinoop.